We may title this something along the lines in a question to someone, why do you follow Jesus? Of course, that kind of implies that you should, or at least that's what we mean by it. But if we were to ask that to people, let's say we even ask that to a lot of people who would identify themselves as Christians, people that are in church that would consider themselves to be churched, what kind of answers do you think you would get? If you let your mind start to examine our culture, examine our world, and why do you think people would say that they follow Jesus? I think there's a growing trend of people, a growing number that would identify something along the lines of, well, he, 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 he tells me how to behave. And I raised seven kids. I, I want them to follow somebody that treats their neighbor as they should be treated. I want those kids to grow up in the atmosphere, the in the environment of love, of treating people the right way. But biblically speaking, if we were to start searching the scriptures, would we find people in the Bible that follow Jesus for that reason? We could get all kinds of responses to that question. A lot of them would be good. A lot of them could be true. But let's look biblically and start in the beginning of the book of John at the people who met Jesus early in his life and decided to follow him. And let's see if we can't find, pull something out of every one of their stories of what they said, why they followed Jesus of Nazareth. In John chapter 1, Verse 19, it says, this is the record of John. John the Baptist is who it's speaking of. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? This is people being sent to find out from John the Baptist's own mouth, who do you say that you are? And look at his response in verse 20. He confessed, he denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now that's a strange response to me. They asked him who he was and what did he tell them? He told him who he wasn't. Yesterday, I, in my opinion, very, what's the word? I thought I was being quite safe. I rolled through a stop sign and a police officer pulled me over, came up to ask me, and he asked me a few questions. And when he asked for a driver's license, which I didn't have on me, and insurance and some of these things, I can tell you what I didn't say. I did not say, well, I, I've got a half drunk can of Mountain Dew in here. I've got some old stale cookies. I've got a chainsaw in the very back. I didn't tell him the things he wasn't looking for. You understand? It's a strange thing. Somebody asks you a question, and you tell them what they're not looking for. John the Baptist here says, I am not, not a Christ, the Christ. What does that imply? First thing that points out to me, this culture, the people back then, even if today this sentence is is foreign to us, we don't even use that language, the Christ. Back then, that implies that culture was looking, expecting someone. They didn't know the person's name. They were taught through the Old Testament scripture, somebody's going to be showing up here. And he's going to be very special. Moses talked about him. All the minor prophets and the major prophets, the Old Testament had been preparing the Jewish nation. He's going to be coming sometime. When they come to ask John the Baptist, and he knows he's a little strange, he's out there in the wilderness baptizing people in Jordan, wearing strange things, eating strange food. His response is, I'm not that guy. I'm not the Christ. I think a lot of, especially American Christians, need to understand that Christ is not 
Jesus' last name. We refer to him as Jesus Christ, not because his parents gave him the name, last name of Christ. His name we refer to as Jesus Christ because that's his title. It's very similar. It's easy for us Americans to understand by talking about our president. There's a lot of people named Donald. There's only one that's Donald somebody, the president. And if that offends you, we can go to somebody else. Barack or Barry, his first name. Barry Obama, Barack Obama, the president. When they are president of the United States, it means a lot more. It's different because there's only one of them. What this is talking about is there's only one person who will ever come into the world who God had promised. Now, we have six, seven billion people on the planet right now. Think how many from the time God formed Adam out of the clay, breathed breath into him, how many people from that time till now have walked the earth? I mean, billions. Today, we have maybe probably millions that are dying every day. Billions that have been here. And how many of those were the Christ? One. That's what we're trying to narrow this down to. That initial question we asked, if we were to ask people, why do you follow Jesus? I think a lot of their answers, unfortunately, would involve a definition of people, of, say, many people that fit that definition. They would talk about he's a good teacher, a philosopher, he treats people really nice. And you know, there's a lot of people that treat people nicely, and some of them aren't even saved. There's only one promised person. And that word Christ, in Hebrew and in Greek, it just has the idea of anointing someone for a very special purpose. They're set aside. When the priest in those days would be anointed with oil to do his business, to go into minister to the Lord in a way possibly we might think of it as face-to-face, he had to be ready. He had to be set aside Special things done to him, bathing-wise, the clothes he wore. He couldn't go in there just after jogging three miles. He had to be cleaned up. He was set aside for a purpose. This person known as the Christ. It's only one. John the Baptist, his initial response is, hey, I'm not that guy. And this is what we learn about John the Baptist. Very humble person in a way. Very meek in the way that he, as you read through this, he says, I know I'm the one, John the Baptist, that has to decrease so that he, that Christ, increase so people all start looking at him and not me. There's not many people that give up the spotlight. He did it willingly. He told people, you better start thinking this way because he's the one. John chapter 3. Excuse me, I'm sorry. John chapter 1. Uh, verse 35, it says, Again, the next day after John, John the Baptist stood, and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus, he walked. He saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist is pointing at Jesus, identifies him as the Lamb of God. The two disciples, in verse 37, heard him speak. They followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, saw them following, said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? They, they want to know where he lived. Verse 39, he said unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Why did Simon, or I should say this, why did Andrew go look for his brother Simon? What did he think he had found? Somebody who would write some good books. A lot of people write good books. They had found the one person that the Old Testament scriptures had talked about. The Messiah. That, that word to a Jewish person, Messiah, means a heck of a lot more than what it does to most of us Americans. Their entire culture has been raised to look for this one person. Andrew knows they found him. So he goes find Simon and says, We have found the Christ. Verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him. Again, that's singular. That's the one person. He didn't say we have found a teacher. We didn't say we have found a fisherman. We haven't found a carpenter. We found him. What's that mean, him? It's the guy. We're Americans. We read this. It doesn't mean that much to us, but to a Jewish person, they are saying the one sentence that every Jewish person hopes to say, that they found him, that the Messiah came in their lifetime. Now these, uh, let me, let's finish verse 45. It, he says, we have found him, comma, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, and his name happens to be Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You see, Philip says, Moses talked about what the prophets wrote about. We, we found that guy. And this is what we need to keep in mind when we read about Jesus, when we think about who Jesus was. Our, our culture is really losing the grasp on this. Jesus is getting pushed into the, uh, uh, a shelf with many other people. He's not with many other people. Because as we'll see here, these disciples start referring to him. There's a certain phrase they start throwing around to him that you just don't use with many people. How about any people? Nathanael in verse 46 said unto him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Now they hadn't even met yet. Jesus has not met, shaken hands, been introduced to Nathaniel, and yet he's already telling him, he's telling Nathaniel stuff that only Nathaniel knows. Verse 48, Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. So, this isn't like our time where somebody took a snapshot on a phone and Jesus had a phone and it got loaded up on the internet and he downloaded it and he saw it. He hit play and showed his friends in his circle. There's no technology. There's no way that Jesus, being separated by distance, by hills, by maybe a river, fields, trees, could have known that Nathaniel was standing under a tree when his brother came to tell him about Jesus. So, Jesus reveals something to him. Uh, I'm a little special here. Before your brother came and got you and you were under that tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, 
Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. What's the conclusion of Nathaniel? Yeah, not only is he the one, he now says he's the Son of God. Now let's let your mind absorb that for a little bit. You ever thought you met somebody and thought, that guy could be God's kid? Well, of course not. We're talking about divinity. The creator of the universe, and this is his son. These guys have come to that conclusion. Why? Remember that question we asked at the beginning, why do you follow Jesus? Some people might say, you know, that Sermon on the Mount stuff. I mean, the way he, he is so compassionate and wanting to look after his fellow man, that's why I want to follow him. Has the Sermon on the Mount been preached yet? In this story? Haven't got there. Jesus hasn't told people, according to this, how to be nice to your wife or your husband, how to treat that neighbor who's not very nice to you, none of that stuff. Why did Nathaniel call him the son of God? Why was he following him? Because what the scriptures spoke about of somebody coming, this guy checks every box, he fits the bill, and we've all come to a conclusion here, us disciples, this guy's the son of God. He's the one. He's the promised one. Do you see how that is a different way to come to a conclusion about Jesus than people today? People that maybe hear the, quote, teachings of Jesus and they sign up and they think, well, you know, that sounds pretty neat. I mean, I might even become happier if I follow that guy. That, that's not biblical. That's not the biblical reason to follow Jesus. We follow him, why? Same reason these disciples did. We, we, we logically, with evidence, read what God wrote about him through Moses and the prophets and all those promises. And that when he showed up, we could make an objective decision. Dad Gummit, that's the guy. He's it. And that is why we follow Jesus. What's the difference? I mean, what between what we've described at the beginning be some by some person who says, I want to follow him because of his nice teachings, versus what we're reading here about the disciples. Does the person that we ask the question to in America today, is that person expecting the miraculous? Is that person expecting a divine being? I would venture to, I would point, I would put out there that not nearly as much as what these guys are thinking. These guys are, they called him the son of God. Verse 49, he's the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus answers and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? He's saying, listen, you're convinced because I wasn't standing there and yet I could see through future, through time, through space, and I knew your brother was talking to you. And Jesus says, you believe because of that? He says, buddy, you're going to see bigger things than that. He's talking about the miraculous. Now, he's not discouraging it. He does not tell this disciple, you shouldn't believe because that... In fact, sir, I haven't even given the Sermon on the Mount. Wait till you hear that. Jesus didn't say that. Verse 51, He said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He points to the fact that you're going to see miracles, baby. The angels are going to be going up and down and they're coming to me. See, it's the miraculous. He is the divine John chapter 3. 
Let's see. That one I don't need. We did that one. Let's go to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives this speech, this teaching where he's telling people, you need to drink my blood and eat of my flesh, and if you don't do that, you're not my follower. And there's a lot of people, the Bible says, that decided that sounds strange. That sounds like a hard saying. In verse 60, that's when they say that's a hard saying. Who could possibly hear this? Jesus, in verse 61, says, does this offend you? And when you get down to verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This is a good verse to keep in mind if you ever feel like you're a failure. Things ever go wrong in your life? Even Jesus lost followers. See, people are fickle. Just because a friend may unfriend you, not talk to you anymore, don't get all upset. Don't get depressed. Jesus lost friends. Sometimes if you tell the truth, that happens. Anyway, verse 67, Jesus said unto the twelve, Are you going to go away also? And look at Peter's response in verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, that singular person, the one. It's very interesting what Peter says, or he includes a word, sure. See, they've, they've gone through a few chapters with him. They've seen a few things. And Peter says, buddy, well, there's, there's no way we're leaving you. Not only at the beginning did we think you're the Messiah, the Christ, he says, now we're dang sure of it. You're it. You are the one person, the Son of of the living God. These guys are given the right answers. A lot of times if they don't give the right answer, Jesus will go after and he'll correct them. Pay attention to the answers that they give him. You are that Christ. Now, that was to the question when Jesus asked, will you go away? He's talking about following him. Why did his disciples follow him? His disciples didn't follow him just because of his teachings. People, I don't want to diminish Jesus' teachings. Not at all. I do want them to be in the right perspective. That if you spend 40 years and the sermons only talk about Jesus said, Teach your neighbor, treat your neighbor this way, if that's the only thing, you get a distorted view. We need to, to hear those things. But if it's the only thing we've ever heard about Jesus... We lose track that this guy came from where? Came from the right hand of the Father. Jesus always talked about himself and the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only speak the things that the Father tells me to speak. He always linked himself with the Father. Now here's why this is important. In our world today, and your pastor is the best at this. He is the most knowledgeable about the translations that are coming out every four or five months, new Bibles being printed. And you'd have to think, the author of the Bible didn't talk about an updated version 
There wasn't supposed to be a sequel. Why do we keep getting these new Bibles? And of course, they're sold to us how? Well, I mean, this is easier to read. We've taken out some of these thous and these and those. Some of those languages, it just gets in our way. And one of the big moves now is so that you can save ink and paper because the Bible's a big book. Guess what we're printing Bibles now that they don't have anymore? Almost every third verse in the New Testament says Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, or Jesus of Nazareth. It's all being shortened to Jesus. So all these verses, they're going to talk about some person with the name Jesus. And what will be missing, it will never get in the minds of people, he is Jesus Christ, that promised person. The prophesied one who God said, when he comes, you better follow him. Because he checks all the boxes. He is the son of God. People, there's a lot of people on earth with the name Jesus. Mexico has tons of them. Serious, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. If we shorten it down to just Jesus, you know how many people over time, it's not going to happen overnight, but we're going to start to associate Jesus with, he, he's just like Randy, he's just like Steve, he's just like anybody. His name just is a little bit different. He's not just a person. He is God in the flesh. And that's what that word Messiah, what the word Christ implies. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And to try to make it easy for us dumb Americans, they're printing Bibles that are only going to say, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And Jesus prayed with his disciples. They're going to leave out his title. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, Lazarus dies. We know how that story ends, where Jesus comes and he raises him from the dead. In John 11 and verse 27 is when Jesus is talking with his sister. And Martha, his sister, uh, let's see, verse 26, Jesus says, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he asks her, Do you believe this? And look at her response. Verse 27, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you gave one great speech on that boat, on the mount where the Sermon on the Mount came from. That's not the reason she has confidence that her brother might come out of that tomb. She said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. In other words, she, that's a, that's the, that is the statement. She is saying which, in other words, it was promised to us, we've been expecting, he was supposed to, he should come. That's what she's saying. You are the guy that was promised to us, and now we've got you. And because of that, I think her faith starts ratcheting up, because he's here, and he can get my brother back. It's it's remarkable. If you listen to the answers to questions that Jesus asks, Jesus asked her what she believed. Do you believe this? And she gives a lot of information in those words. You are Jesus Christ. You are that Christ, 
the Son of God, which should come into the world. She, she hits almost all of it. Compare that, contrast that with maybe some of the people in your life, or maybe at one point in our life, what did we think about Jesus? Was Jesus presented to us when we were in college, or maybe in grade school, was he presented to us as somebody that taught things we should follow? Which he did. How should we present Jesus to the world? This is why Christians, why we get in trouble. No fault of our own, we're just telling the truth. But the truth is, sir, you may like Muhammad and you may like all these other people names. There's only one who was the Son of God. And that's why us Christians kind of get the brunt of it. Because we're telling everybody that what we believe makes what you believe, if it's the truth, what they believe is invalid, if we're right. He was the Son of God. Let's go to John chapter 20. Uh, keep a finger. We will be there in John chapter 20, but let's go back to, let's see, let's see. Did I write that? Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Keep a finger. We're going to be back in John 20, but Matthew 16. <clears throat> Matthew 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, is that a strange question? I mean, this is chapter 13 of Matthew. There's been a lot of, a lot of water under the bridge here, things they've seen of him. And now he's asking his disciples that live with him. They left their fishing nets. They left their businesses. They're following him. He's going to make them fishers of men. They live with him. They eat with him. They sleep in the same place. They go through the storms on boats with him. And what's he asking them? <coughs> Who am I? Who do people say that I am? And verse 14, they said unto him, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he drills down in verse 15, he said, But whom say ye that I am? He's looking for a response. Do you, are you getting that feeling? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art... The, singular, the Christ. The Son of the living God. Now, it's a great answer, isn't it? Let's look at Jesus' response to that answer. Jesus answered him in verse 17, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I wouldn't mind if somebody said that to me. Peter gives the response that you are the promised one, the Son of God. And Jesus tells him, you're blessed, buddy. You, you, your perception, the, the fact that God revealed this to you, you're a blessed person. He goes on to say that he's going to build his whole church on this idea. What idea? It's not the idea that the man... Peter knows this and that Peter's now going to be the first pope and whatever. It's not what he's saying there. It's through the it's the idea. I'm going to build my church on what idea? That the 
people know that I am the Christ, the promised one, the one that all the prophecies talked about, I'm it. And if you believe that, if you conclude that, then you're in his church, and guess what happens? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not a bad conclusion. You know it matters what you think, and it matters what you believe? The Bible clearly teaches that. It does matter what we believe. And what I'm here tonight about is, it matters what we believe about our Savior, Jesus. Was he just a guy that got up on the hill so he could talk to everybody and they could hear him? He did those things. But before he ever did that, his disciples followed him because they figured out, he's the Messiah. He is the promised person. He is God in the flesh. The Son of God, in fact. And that's the story of the Bible. That God created mankind. Mankind screwed up. And how did God get him back to himself? In the form of his son, his son went into their world to pay the penalty for them when they couldn't do it. He bore it. And if anybody believes that plan, what happens to them? They get made, the, there's a new creature on the inside of them. They become righteousness. They are born again, not because of something that they physically did, but because of the conclusion they draw, the belief in their heart. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is about his son, a divine son, that whosoever believeth on him, believes what? You better believe that he's his son. It doesn't say that whoever believeth that he's a good professor. It's missing the point. That whosoever believeth on him, he's already talked about him being his son. If you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he's the divine, you got something special in your life. Let's go to John chapter 20 and finish this. John chapter 20, the last two verses. My ears always perk up when I see a verse that tells me a why or that has a big explanation for a, a huge idea. In my Bible, above verse 30, it says the purpose of the book. The next two verses tell the reason the book of John was written. And in fact, you could say the entire Bible was written. John chapter 20, verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. You, re- you realize, the Bible says that if they wrote down everything that Jesus did, the books couldn't contain them. I mean, it was just one after another. The scribes, there were people writing things down. They couldn't write fast enough. That's how miraculous his life was. And what's the next verse say? But these are written. The ones that you're reading about in your Bible... Those are written, and why are they the ones that God wanted in his Bible? So that ye might believe that he was one great teacher. See, it's, it's everywhere in his Bible. What are we supposed to believe about Jesus? That he is the Christ, the Son of God, and then... What happens if you believe that? See, it finishes by saying that. What happens if you believe that he is the Christ, the promised one, and that he's God's son? That believing you might have life through his name. 
why, are the, why was the Bible written the way it's written? Why are these specific miracles recorded in this book? Could have put a bunch of them. Specifically says to lead us to a certain conclusion. What conclusion? God made a promise. What he would look like, where he'd be born, what his life would look like, that he'd die on the cross. All these different things. And all of these things are included and it's written down in our Bible to lead every reader to one conclusion. That carpenter's kid, he wasn't a carpenter's kid. He was God's son. And if you come to that conclusion, this verse says, now you've got life through his name. Now, these two verses talk about a bunch of Miracles, a bunch of things that Jesus did that are not included in the book, and then it says what these are included. Let's go, do you know the story that leads into this? What is the story that leads to this idea that some of these are included, some weren't? What you have here is when Jesus is raised from the dead, there was one disciple that was missing when he came to the room to show himself to everybody. See, I got holes in my hands, in my feet, and a spear hole in my side, and he's back from the dead. He's resurrected. But there was one guy missing. Thomas was not there. And Thomas, when they go to tell him, when he finally does get back from the barbershop, and he says, well, what, 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 what happened? And they, they tell him, and he says, I don't believe it. He tells them, I won't believe it unless I put my finger in the print of his nail hand. If I put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Wow. Thank God, Jesus is rather forgiving. Gives you a few chances. Verse 27, go back up there. John chapter 20, when Jesus comes back, and actually verse 26, after eight days again, his disciples were with and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, reach hither thy hand and thrust into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, comma, and my God. Something happened to Thomas. What does he now believe about Jesus? He really believes that he is divine. He says, My Lord and my God. You talk about a quick conversion right there. Thomas was not faithless anymore. He not only knows this guy is my Lord. You know, you could make anybody or anything your Lord if you choose to. But Thomas affirms he's God. He's God's son. And that's when Jesus says in verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have never seen yet have believed. People, that's us. Jesus talks about a special blessing for people who just hear about his story. Read about it maybe on their own or hear it from some preacher and they decide, I'm, I believe that. I, I really think that's God's plan and it happened. And what happens when you've never seen Jesus, you weren't there, you didn't put your finger in his handprints like Thomas did, but you still have guts enough to believe it? What happens? 
blessed. Jesus calls that person. See, there's a special blessing for us who have never seen Jesus personally in the flesh, but we still believe. Thomas believed because he saw. And thank God he did. Because like we read, some of those people walked away from Jesus. Never came back. But there's a special blessing for somebody who didn't live in the time of Jesus. Didn't see those things, but they heard about God's story and they took him at his word. They took him at his word that it's all true and that Jesus is, they came to the conclusion, he is the son of the living God. Father, we pray, Lord, over every person that attends pastors' churches. And Lord, I pray just a special blessing over them that they would live in peace and prosperity. I pray, Lord, that they would live in in a fruitfulness that we would all uh, add to pastor's life and not to detract. I pray that we would all live in unity, the unity of the brethren. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us, as we go throughout our week, that your presence would be with us and that we would grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.